following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. When you're wearing the right outfit, it feels good. Like finding an onion ring in your french fries good. Feel that way every single day when you work with a Trunk Club personal stylist. Meet your stylist at trunkclub.com. That's T-R-U-N-K-C-L-U-B.com. I don't know, there was one moment when I'd heard that Hotwire was going to launch their mobile app, and I was like, damn it. It's so obvious that if they, if I was at Hotwire, I would launch the mobile app and it would do exactly what I'm going to do with Hotel Tonight. I guess we should maybe just think about not doing it. But I had that moment, and then I was like, no, 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 we're going to go for it. I have no idea what they're actually doing. turns out they didn't launch their mobile app for another two years, and when they did, it really sucked. So I'm glad I didn't listen to, my, uh, to the, the fear monger inside my head. Welcome to the Forbes interview. I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do in-depth interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. If you are a procrastinator or a business traveler or both, this is the episode for you. Today, we have the CEO and founder of Hotel Tonight, Sam Shank. Sam, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about the business right now. Um, you are a travel veteran. You are a uh, you know old-school internet veteran. I, let's start off telling me how this idea came about and the evolution of, of um, the company. Yeah, the um, it started uh, about almost seven years ago. Exactly is when we started working on it, and the idea came. I'd been in online travel for two companies previous to Hotel Tonight. So Hotel Tonight's the third company I founded, and um, when the second company kind of got to break even, I was like, well, what's next for this company? What? How do we really supercharge the growth? And I was uh, just enamored with my at that point iPhone one, and I said, well, let's go to the app store and look and what's it going on in travel and they every app was very, was just miserable um they all sucked and they sucked because they were the big legacy online travel agencies that had built the businesses around desktop and they when they took them to a mobile uh format they just ported over a desktop experience and i said well what if you build something from the ground up for mobile that took advantage of the uh of the opportunity of mobile as well as uh made a better experience for the limitations of mobile. So the small screen, uh, the the sort of limited attention span um, of mobile. So the competitors are trying to kind of like squeeze their their website experience on the tiny screen and you guys decided to start from scratch? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then we started to focus on what you could do with mobile that you couldn't do um, in, uh, in, in, in the, on a desktop, which is book at the very last minute after you'd left the office or when you didn't have your laptop. And so we did go after the procrastinators, the yeah. business travelers, and and also the spontaneous travelers. That yep. was the original goal was for people that were thinking, maybe I'll go home um, instead of that or saying, maybe I'll stay at home and not go you know, do something fun this weekend. We gave them the ability to, uh, in three taps and a swipe, to book a room, to change their weekend, uh, to change their night. And that is where we, we launched. And we had amazing product market mm-hmm. fit right from the get-go. And excuse us for a moment to thank our sponsors, LifeLock and Amica. More about those sponsors later in the show. Well, I got to got to say, I got to be transparent here. I am a Hotels Tonight power user. I'm I'm a level three, knocking on the level four door. Um, but I, I use it all the time, like you said, like a regional traveler, whatever. You just get on a plane now and you figure out where you're staying afterwards. And I love the interface. It's kind of like playing a video game in a, in a way. I really, um, I think the animation's great. The uh, the experience is a really, um, you know, friendly, user friendly um, experience. Oh well, thank you, and and congrats on being like one of our top customers. The uh, the uh, that's the level four is our our rewards program. Our, we call it HT Perks, and uh, you know hang tight because we are going to be renovating that uh, and upgrading that whole experience very shortly. Um, so it's going to get even better. And I want to hear about the tech side, but I want to hear about the kind of the gritty kind of uh, shoe leather side of this when you want to start a company. Because I know I've spoken to hotel executives and. You know, they kind of begrudgingly accepted or even been hostile to the kind of aggregation um, game and the you know, Expedias of the world, so to speak. How do they feel when you came along and like did this last minute kind of booking? What do people think? Like you're out of your mind? No one's in a book a hotel room while they're off the airplane? Or did you get a lot of headwinds, both on idea and both in marketplace? 
we got a lot of headwinds from uh, venture capitalists uh, because they don't book their own travel, and they said, "Well, I would never ever book a last-minute hotel room. That's crazy." Yeah. And, and I said, "Well, a lot of people are already doing it, and a lot of people prefer the flexibility of booking a, a last-minute hotel room. And then if we give them a really great interface, we give them really good deals uh, because this is distressed inventory. An empty room doesn't generate any revenue for the hotel. Yeah. That we'd be uh, we'd be able to, to build a new market. And they uh, we finally got somebody to say." You only need one. You only need one VC to say yes, and we got uh, that yes, and we're able to move forward. On the hotel side, we have a, a very different value proposition. Um, we sell incremental rooms for the hotel. We complement their own marketing. We don't compete with their own marketing and distribution channels. That's very different than Expedia and Priceline that mm-hmm. really try and steal their their customers. And like on SEM, like if you you search for uh, something like you know the Clift Hotel you know, in San Francisco, you'll see that Booking.com is is taking an Expedia taking that customer that's a loyal customer or expressed interest in a brand and should go directly to the hotel's website, but instead go to an online travel agency. And we don't do any of that. We're really there to, to complement and fill rooms that would otherwise be empty. Yeah, I know. I, I, I've spoken to other hotel executives that said in the early days, if you booked online with one of those, like you said, like booking.com or Priceline, they would make sure that you got the worst hotel room in the uh, in, in the hotel. Um, I think that's changed, but it, it was definitely a hostile environment. How did you go about, when you decided to start this company, how did you kind of start, you know, approaching like all these different hotels? I mean, you want to be in every city, you want to be, you know, is it knocking on doors? Is it phone calls? Is there a way to kind of tap in and sign up, you know, multiple uh, properties in kind of in one in one motion? Yeah, it's, it's uh, definitely a feed on the street or on the phone uh, type of approach to signing up these properties. And it's uh, we work with the be- world's best boutique and independent hotels. And the uh, we, we were, knew we were going to launch in three cities um, to start just to be able to – we were three people, so we didn't have a lot of resources to sign up hotels beyond that. But we, um, we wanted to so, – so it was New York, San Francisco, and L.A. And we wanted to sign up one of the iconic hotels – um, that really defined what a boutique and independent hotel is in each of those cities. And then we felt that once we had that, then everybody else would start participating because we had sort of that that, um, that initial hotel, uh, the tastemaker. In New York, uh, I was very inspired for a hotel tonight by the Ace Hotel in general and the mm-hmm. vibe there and the brand. And so I was like, we've got to just sign up the Ace. Like, that's got to be our first hotel. And it was um, an all-hands-on-deck thing with literally every conversation I had for like three months. I was like... Hey, you know, great to see you. By the way, do you know anybody at the, that works at the Ace Hotel? Um, and uh, <laughs> I probably did that like hundreds of times. And finally, I found somebody that had a cousin whose you know friend worked in the food and beverage there, and, and got us connected. And we were able to sign them. And once we signed them, we were able to get everybody else participating. Um, and uh, and we had a great value proposition. It was it was only we want a discount, but only yeah. on things. That you're only on rooms that you're not going to sell, and you have full control over that flexibility. And it definitely was um, uh, the novelty at, at that point to, to have an app and an app-only business. Um, now it's more commonplace, but I think we were launching around the same time as Instagram and Uber, and in that mm-hmm. class, and there were not a lot of mobile-only businesses, which or app-only businesses, which which also helped us out a lot. Yeah, I imagine too for the hotels, you guys are also like a great discovery engine, almost like a, a Spotify for hotels because. I mean, a lot of people, like, for me, example, like, I'm using it to just crash for a, a quick trip. I'm not, you know, booking a, you know, five-week, five-night vacation. It's like, I need a place to crash. But it's all, like, but I get to experience all different hotels, and then maybe I'll come back to a place that I would have never found if it wasn't. It's like, a, it's like a, it's, it's a good way to demo different um, places without kind of, you know, gambling a lot of money, I guess. Yeah, and, and, and it does create a uh, situation where people, one, it's called the billboard effect in the industry, yeah. which is that there's a benefit to the hotel of uh, an extra 10 to uh, 15% even with just being on Hotel Tonight where people see it and they're like, oh, great. Um, and then they remember it next time they're ready to book directly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one. And then they also, you know, it's uh, our customers, they're, they're you know, like you, they're in the entertainment industry, they're uh, tastemakers in their own right, and they um, generally like will have a pretty big social media following and will be able to talk about the hotel to, to their groups and, you know, Create a lot of uh, a lot of good buzz around the hotel itself. Well, I'm not, I'm not a tastemaker, but I, I appreciate the, uh, the nod. <laughs> what? Um, and you said originally it was. Uh, I know it's changed a little bit, but back in the day when you first started, was it? What was the window? Was it you could book within? Is it hotel rooms in 24 hours? Was it that night? I know it's gone beyond that, but what was the original the original model? 
Yeah, it was originally noon um, to 2 a.m. And we had a countdown clock, and the sale went. Sale started at at uh, 12:01, um, and uh, we focused on that area, you know, that window that was truly last minute. Um, and then, as we grew, we we started to expand, and you know, people said, "All right, uh, we like hotel tonight, but it's too restrictive for uh-huh. me uh, for certain preferences." And they defined us as last minute, and that was uh, we defined that as a week in advance, and so we gave people more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and that was great. And then more recently, we've expanded even even uh, beyond uh, seven days. Does that now? How does that work with the value prop? I mean, before it was kind of like flying standby. Like these hotel rooms for the hotels would you know they go um, they go unused anyway. So if they get a dollar for it, at least they're making a dollar, uh, or at least there's a little bit to the. It's helping the bottom line. Now, when you spread it out, are you? How do you prevent not being a competitor? Like you said, those other aggregators when that value prop is gone. Yeah, the um, we actually so we expanded to 100 days, and so just to to explain a little bit more about what we did, and uh, in 14 cities, and we uh, invited in our best hotel partners for each of those cities, and got overwhelming response, and there's a huge waiting list um, for hotels to get into this new booking window, and the. We, we, we did it because our customers were saying, hey, I need a little more flexibility, even more than a week. I really like using Hotel Tonight, and I want to use it for more situations, like when I need to book further in advance. And then hotels were saying, we know when our hotels are going to be empty, and we're going to have empty, rather, we're going to have empty rooms. And we know that far in advance, and we want to start selling it through Hotel Tonight earlier because we like working with you we like your customers and we uh we want other ways of of getting in front of those customers so we did it uh, if our hotels had said absolutely not we don't want to participate mm-hmm. uh then we wouldn't have done it uh, but it was actually hotel driven and supplier driven um, because they see us as a great way to just hit their own revenue goals are your customers do they have a different demographic than a kind of a larger or more like traditional desktop based or original like founded um, travel site is it? Do you guys stick out differently in a different type of traveler? Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it's a younger demographic. Uh, it's a demographic that really prefers boutique hotels, and the the trade off of you know wanting more experience and material possessions. Um, the that's the the psychographic of our customers. So they really appreciate what a boutique and independent hotel can offer, um, as well as they value the time savings of hotel tonight um, by uh, by making it easier to book a room. So it is a customer that uh, hotels typically are interested in getting, uh, but they have a uh, typically have a hard time of reaching themselves. So mm-hmm. they're very excited to work with us in that regard. And if you compare that to desktop, that's like I don't know. I call that your your grandfather booking uh, service. You yep. know, that's the, the old way of doing things. And if you want to do the new way of, of, uh, of booking a hotel, come to Hotel Tonight. And you have a great view of both, you know, the travel habits of Americans and also the kind of the, the style and the offerings of hotels. How has the business changed? How has travel changed? It's interesting. You started, you said, seven years ago. So put that around 2010 when you were kind of still coming off the recession. And I remember back then they were saying, you know, business travel's over. It's going to be all conference calls and video calls and that industry's done. And I think it's probably gone the absolute reverse. Like what are we seeing um, in, in, in that in that market? Yeah, I think that some of the macro trends are, uh, you know, again, the millennials and the – the population shifting more towards experiences versus uh, you know, versus material possession. So more share of wallet is going to travel experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one, and that also drives business travel, which is that if I'm doing a business trip and then I can extend that for the weekend, then you know I can sort of get an experience as well as as have a good business trip. I think that it's going to be a long time before, and maybe never um, before. Things like video conferences or virtual reality can re- fully replace that um, being in person together. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that you know, certain things certainly can be um, you know done with video conference, but you know, if you really need to sit down with somebody and really hash out a, an issue or sell a product, you've got to do it in person. Huh. Um, there's just no replacement for it. And I think that by the time there is a replacement for it, then we're all living in the simulation, and it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, so, that's, that sounds um, pretty boring. The, uh, uh, so that's one. The other is just the rise of the boutique and independent and distinctive hotel. Yeah. And you know, the, we, I recognize this early, and, and that's why I was just so interested in the boutique hotels like the Ace Hotel and the Roosevelt in L.A. And that has um, been sort of exacerbated, not exacerbated, but accelerated by 
um, the rise of Airbnb over that same period yeah. of time and people saying, hey, I want these authentic and unique experiences and I want to feel, I don't want to feel like a tourist. I, I am going to the city and for business or for leisure. I want to hang out somewhere where other locals are hanging out. I want to mm. feel like I'm in the fabric of it. And that's something that a boutique hotel does a very good job at, but also provides the consistency and the you know, the the dependable experience of a hotel. So that's I look at it right in between the traditional hotel where mm. you don't know where, where locals would never set foot in, and then on the other end is somebody's apartment uh, that um, can you can have a, a very immersive experience, but you don't know necessarily what the quality is ahead of time. Yeah, my gut is like we're going just anecdotally we're going to kind of the more of an ACE model where you want to go to a hotel that has an awesome thriving kind of you know common spaces whether they're the the lobbies, the bars, the hotel, I mean the the restaurants, those kind of things. And then the rooms are important, but they're they can be small and more sparse because people want to go for the more communal experience instead of the kind of a, a bigger room and kind of a boring lobby, right? That's exactly right. The, the Yotel in, in New York is one of the best examples of this. The rooms are very small and very well appointed, but um, but you know they're not the the centerpiece. The centerpiece is the communal space and this big balcony and uh, and deck that uh, that always has a lot going on there for locals and for people staying in the hotel. So I think that's really the model going mm-hmm. forward. And at the end of the day, you're not hanging out in your room. You're hanging out with other people. And uh, when you're sleeping, it doesn't matter what the size of the room is. Yeah, and so I want to jump back a little bit to kind of your background because um, you said you are you, this is your third company in the travel world. Um, you know, you got your start before, you know, well before uh, smartphones and kind of the, this new, you know, version of the web. Um, taking back, how did you get into startups? Because I know you're you're a UVA guy, which is a great school, but not really known for its entrepreneurial tech hotbed. Um, kind of take me through that a little bit. I'm I'm curious. Yeah, I, so I grew up with a computer and always was interested in computers, but my real passion was filmmaking and wanted to be a, a movie director. Somebody like James Cameron was uh, one of my, or still is. Somebody that I I idolize and and uh, were you, you were a big Terminator were you a Terminator guy Terminator Aliens for sure yeah. um, but so I wanted to be a movie director and so after uh, college I went um, and moved to L A and, and gotten to know Wes Craven at a conference and huh. worked on the movie Scream and was an assistant there and some of the cool stuff that I did was like read scripts and think about some wow. of his next projects and, and that was the first Scream the, was that the first Scream the first Scream yeah, yeah. and. Uh, and then on the, you know, I also like got laundry and mailed a lot of boxes. Um, so, <laughs> and uh, I had a pager then. I would get paged, um, and then would have to call someone. And anyway, it was. Uh, Do you have one of the masks? Era. Do you have one and, of the classic masks? Yeah, yeah, the classic mask. The and, mask, uh, yeah. Um, and it was it was interesting because nobody knew how big of a movie it was going to be. Everybody liked the script, and uh, it had a good cast, and there was some excitement around it. But uh, nobody knew it was going to be a, a multi billion dollar franchise. Wow. Um, and uh, and so I uh, got there and and enjoyed the experience of working on a movie, but really didn't enjoy Hollywood at all. And I was like, "There's no way I'm ever going to be able to direct a movie." Um, mm. The odds that that happens are so low. It's not a meritocracy here. It's really a lot of luck. And I also was it was a declining industry. And so the parts of what I was doing that were most interesting to me was thinking about new media is what they called it at the time and you know, the and the internet and you know what the what that combination of technology and Hollywood would be and, and then Sam, said, sorry, well, what, what year really is this is this like mid nineties kind of thing? Yeah, it's uh ninety six. Ninety six, okay. And the um and then I said, Well if I want to do technology, like I should really do technology and move up to the Bay Area. So I did that, um, connected with another UVA grad Halsey Minor and he gave me a job and a shot at his company, CNET, and yeah. then uh, started working for internet companies for a few years. And we'll be right back after this quick break to say support for the Forbes interview comes from Amica Insurance. We're living in the age of the discerning shopper when savvy consumers increasingly favor brands that value authenticity, ethics, and a great shopping experience. Amica is committed to being a company people trust. Visit meetamica.com slash Forbes and find out why 95% of Amica customers with combined auto and home policies stay with them. One more time, that's meetamica.com slash Forbes to find out more about Amica Insurance. And then, so you're focused on, on CNET. Were you doing the tech side or were you doing the, the more the media and uh, content side? Yeah, it was all over the place. I did um, product management, I guess, would be the, the best uh way to describe that role um i did do some video production for um 
for I guess we had like a CD-ROM that, yeah. <laughs> that was sort of funny to talk about. A CD-ROM that would help you get on the internet and had tutorials on it. So I, I worked on the production of that, and then I also worked on um, the uh, ultimately the website and gotcha. uh-huh. that did the the weather category and the local. They called it local at the time. Um, I'm not sure really what that was, but it was uh, you know, local information um, and. Then got a job at, you know, moved from there. Once I sort of maxed out on the opportunity there, went to Excite, um, and then that became Excite at Home. Um, yeah. Old school. And did Excite. product management. <laughs> old school. Old school. And uh, for those that don't know, that's the company that had the chance to buy Google for a million dollars and kicked them out of the of the CEO's office. Um, they thought they were... They thought they were uh, didn't have anything that was worth it. So um, I'm sure they're not kicking, them, what, they're not kicking they themselves now, I'm sure. so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can all thank them for not buying Google because they would have really messed it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and then uh, from there, I um, I went to a company called Nextag, which was a, a price comparison shopping engine, and okay. had a really good run for a while until Google started uh, being more competitive in that space and sort of pushed all of those players out. Um, but uh, after that, then I uh, the dot com bubble burst, and we all were reevaluating what we we're going to do with our lives and. It was a pretty hard time for me because everything that I had done and I was I had a real uh, good career uh, through the late 90s and an upward trajectory. And then, whoa, uh, my entire career is the punchline of a joke about pets.com or something. So Jeez. it was, uh, it was, <laughs> I had to restart everything and, and it was just really difficult. Were um, you very, were you very well, I mean, did you have like a, were you paper wealthy for a little bit and then it kind of all, burnt up like everything like everybody else uh, i mean i it was a it was a little bit you know i guess for me it was material um yeah. and then yeah i went away um i ended up selling my excited home shares for like 30 cents um hmm. and i could have sold them for 42 dollars or 42 bucks a share yeah um and not it wouldn't have been life-changing but you know would have been better selling them at 42 um <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so then i went to business school um, i went to kellogg and that was a great experience um both just spending some time developing my own skills and investing in myself and being around a lot of really smart people. And then also being in Chicago, um, getting out of the Bay Area yeah. for a little bit uh, was really help, really helpful for me and uh, understanding consumers better, understanding the perspective of where the San Francisco Bay Area fits and the, the tech scene fits into the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the big motivation for me in going to Kellogg was to leave there with a company and have started a company or be working with some others on a company. And it, uh, I ended up being one of, just like UVA is not really a, a tech or entrepreneurial school, um, at least at the time. Yeah. Uh, Kellogg definitely was not an entrepreneurial school at the time. That's a lot of that's changing. But um, and uh, yeah, I was we were one like of the, two people say, that yeah. started a business out of my entire class of like 600 people. Wow. And what year was this? Like 2002, 2003 kind of thing? I was uh, 04 that I graduated uh, from Kellogg. And were you like the were you like the one kind of Valley Tech guy, and everyone else was kind of aspiring uh, bankers? Yeah, there were some bankers. So a lot of people that go into consumer packaged goods and marketing. Um, there were a couple of people that went into tech, but it was uh, one guy went to eBay, another guy went to Amazon, and is still there, and uh, has had a great run there, yeah, and sure. working on their music business, um, and. But uh, but very few people went to small companies that I can remember, and then no one started a company. So I was definitely the – everybody looked at me, and all the other wives talked to my wife and were like, how are you going to deal with all the risk? <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, she was – she was uh, brave to to trust me, and I gave myself about nine months to to prove that I could start a business. So sort of till the end of the year, and I had a and that's when I worked on this business called Travel Post. And Travel Post started because I I found this site uh, that uh, was just starting to blow up in the previous summer called Friendster. And, oh yes. Uh, but I was, he was just completely blown away by Friendster. So, you know, I was right intuition, wrong company, right? Um, but uh, but then I said, well, what happens if you combine that social media, what uh, social networking concepts with uh, an industry that has a lot of monetization behind it and a lot of passion behind it? And that industry was travel. Um, so I was a, loved the travel category because I wanted to travel more and was you know, personally uh, interested in it. And then it also looked like a great business opportunity. Turns out that that combination was a really horrible idea. Okay. And, <laughs> the, uh, and it ended up being um, something that we actually got 
decent traction on it uh, okay. from a consumer standpoint, but there was no money behind it. People didn't um, didn't go to a social network to plan their travel. They went there to look at pictures that other people had posted or their friends had posted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was no monetization behind it. Um, pivoted the business to a hotel reviews business um, okay. and became kind of like a I don't know, 1% of the size of TripAdvisor, maybe even like 0.1% of the size, um, and had some cool features and technology and data, but never were able to, to really get to scale. But it did monetize like 50 times better than that social networking idea. Is that because um, hotels and, just take out ads on your on your thing, or they pay for promote? They pay for like pr- promoted rankings or just advertisements inside the inside the ecosystem? Yeah, it, it comes down to, uh, and that's exactly how we monetize, though, more to online travel agencies than yeah. directly to the hotels. Um, and, you know, it's, believe it or not, like the online travel agencies were willing to pay significantly more than the hotels would um, be able to pay, which doesn't make any sense because the hotels should be paying more because they don't have to pay a middleman then. But but regardless, um, that's where most of the leads went. It, and the reason it worked better is that the, tra- the intent of the traffic was so much different. When somebody comes in researching a hotel, um, they would say, well, I'm ready to book that hotel now. Where do I go? Uh, is the next step when they found the the right hotel for them uh, versus with the social networking thing it was like great you know jane had a really good vacation um and full stop yeah. i'm going back to something else um and we um ended up getting uh, the, uh getting some interest from acquirers on that business and sold it at uh for a, a fairly low price um but it was a it was a decent outcome for for everyone in, yeah. involved given that that it was a difficult business um, to run and a competitive space uh, and sold it to Sidestep, okay. um, which was a uh, price comparison shopping engine for travel. And Sidestep, um, then I worked there for a, a little over a year, and then Kayak bought Sidestep okay. and, uh, and had a had an exit there and then was uh, on the bench for a little while and uh, thinking about what I was going to do next. Um, and that's when I uh, started working on this uh, business called DealBase. How do you think I, – I think everyone's always interested in kind of where ideas come from. Like when you were, you said, on the bench and how did you – like how do you come up with ideas? Did you kind of like, you know, I don't know, go for long walks? Did you call all your, you know, friends and colleagues and looking for ideas or did something just kind of come to you? What, how did that creative process work? Yeah, it's uh... – I wish I had a better answer other than it's a lot of connecting the dots and looking at patterns and trends. And I think that's something that uh, you have to develop over time. And one of the things I started doing, and this was when I had ideas for movie scripts, was just write mm-hmm. down every idea and then go back and look at them and say, well, that was a bad idea or that was a good idea. And then um, you know, develop on that. But developing that uh, pattern recognition um, and and uh, connecting the dots. That what, that's what led to Hotel Tonight. I said, wow, mobile is clearly going to be the next great computing platform. As an entrepreneur, you wait for these platform shifts and opportunities. Um, and the uh, then it was like, okay, well, what does this mean for travel? It's going to look a little bit like a private sales site, something like Jet Setter. It's going to look a little bit like a Groupon, mm-hmm. um, but in terms of the, the deals and the value, but it's going to pull from and be inspired by the Ace Hotel. So connecting all these dots together, but coming up with something that was fundamentally new and something that was uh, a, a new type of booking behavior for customers that they could never do before. Um, so that was uh, uh, how Hotel Tonight started. I actually had, like, I think it was like four ideas, and it was around personal interests and areas that I thought were broken. Um, I uh, was looking at healthcare, but then decided not to do anything in healthcare mm. because of the regulation there. I actually had an idea. Um, I called it Teleporter, and it was using uh, the, a mobile phone to hail black cars um, to <laughs> take you around the city. That would <laughs> and, never. That would never uh, work. That would never work. That would never work. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, the funny part of that is, I called the San Francisco Taxi Commission. I was like, "What if I did this?" Like, and they said, "Well, you go to jail uh, because <laughs> it's illegal." And you know, I've got a wife, kids, house, and I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to fight City Hall. Yeah. Um, and uh, well, fortunately for the world, somebody else did want to, um, because we have Uber and Lyft now. Um, but uh, that wasn't the right business for me uh, to to start for sure. And then um, I looked at something in Hollywood, and still interested in that. And I'd love to go back to Hollywood and storytelling, but do it sort of my own terms versus yeah. their terms. Um, but uh, that wasn't the right business to start. And uh, then you know, came back to travel and wanting to do something that I could get to profitability relatively quickly and uh, then maybe turn over to somebody else to run. And that uh, was DealBase. And DealBase was a, sort of a lead gen comparison shopping site for travel deals. And 
what happened there was that we got hit by uh, 2008. So 2008 yes. ends up being a really bad, ended up being a very bad year to start a business from a fundraising perspective. You have great time. You have great timing. Just you know, every time oh, you get going, yeah. the, the bubbles come. Well, awesome timing. Well, anyone yes, exactly. anyone your age got just you know, same way. You you graduate, then it's like bubble, and then it's you know you get going a little bit, and then the next one, it's it's crazy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. The the only way to to deal with that is just to predict that you know nothing rises forever or goes down forever. So. Yeah. Um, we're uh, based on history. We're about to have something uh, an economic downturn. Um, so just being ready for it. Well, you, and hopefully, you, it won't be sudden like it was in in '08. You better IPO fast, then, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, this business actually, we, we feel very confident about the value proposition now uh, for hotels because they always have empty rooms, and and for consumers, I think the value proposition for hotels will, will be even stronger in an economic downturn mm-hmm. um, because they're going to need more help in filling those last rooms. So real quick, um, because there's yeah. there's less business uh, in the beginning. So what uh, happened so, with the uh, uh, yeah, what happened with the uh, in 2008? So in 2008, uh, we had uh, we were like had a, a term sheet on the Friday before uh, the Lehman Brothers collapse, and on Monday it got pulled. So it had to be really scrappy. That yeah. business raised less than two million dollars and had to be much scrappier and getting there to profitability, and ended up with a product that I wasn't terribly passionate around, but but happy that it was profitable and. That's what then led to okay. What's next? What can we do that would be that would be more exciting for me? I wanted to work directly with hotels. I wanted to build a brand that people loved, and a service that people loved to evangelize. That was like a, a personal goal of mine. And I was I was like, okay, I'm ready to do that. I'm ready to put myself out there. I wasn't right after Travel Post. I certainly wasn't ready yeah. um, when I was starting my first company. And so then I was uh, then I was like, oh, let's do something big and bold and. It was intimidating to go right into the eye of the hurricane against Expedia and Priceline. At that point, there was also Orbitz and Travelocity and all of these companies yep. I knew would, would be looking at this and be uh, have to respond, and they responded very, very aggressively um, in the early days. And uh, But I was like, we're going to do this, and we're going to you know, make some waves, and we're going to build something that people really, really love. And I don't know. There was one moment when I'd heard that Hotwire was going to launch their mobile app, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Damn it! It's so obvious that if they, if I was at Hotwire, I would launch the mobile app and it would do exactly what I'm going to do with Hotel Tonight." I guess we should maybe just think about not doing it. But I had that moment, and then I was like, "No, no, no! We're going to go for it." I have no idea what they're actually doing. Turns out they didn't launch their mobile app for another two years, and wow. when they did, it Jeez. really sucked. <laughs> so I'm glad I didn't listen to my uh, to the the fear monger inside my head. That's a, that's a good lesson. Like, don't worry about it until it actually happens. I guess what um what um you said they uh, the competitors or the kind of the the old old school groups responded very aggressively. What does that mean? Give me some examples of what they did. Yeah, it, uh, in the early days, um, they so the the leadership at Expedia said, "Well, this is a really good idea. We're going to do it too." Um, they, I thought we'd have like a year, and they might sort of you know, uh, do some minor things to their apps to put in last minute deals. Ended up, they cleared the deck. They they made it their top priority internally to compete against us. They were pushing the product team really hard. They got uh, some stuff out. I think in September we launched in January. By September, which is very fast for these big companies to to get something out, and they they launched mobile exclusive rates uh, for last minute deals, which is the the real invention that we first brought to the industry. Yeah. Um, and then they started uh, talking to our hotel partners and saying, well, you, you, you've got to give us the same rate as Hotel Tonight, or we actually you know, would like you not to work with Hotel Tonight anymore and work only with us on these last-minute deals. And um, it was like one day when the phones just lit up all at once, and all of our hotel partners had been contacted you know, with this type of message, and it was very intimidating. And there was a period of time when we didn't know how hotels were going to respond, and we didn't know if they were going to you know, say, hey, you know, Hotel Tonight's been fun, but, you know, we've got other business needs. And yeah. and uh turns out that they, uh, fortunately, they didn't. They said, we really like to work with you. We don't like to get pushed around and told what to do. And we want to have uh, some choice in where we sell our rooms. And you guys do something that nobody else does. We like your customers. We like your flexibility. We like uh, you you guys as people because you, you treat us with a lot of respect. And so we're going to stay with you. And uh, we're going to we're going to continue to support you. So the the business persisted through that. The the other uh, big moment was when we started hearing that Booking.com, which is an $80, $90 billion company, the largest uh, seller of accommodations in the world, no. um, they decided to go up against us. And 
they had a project to launch a standalone app, which is a, a different type of threat than putting it into an existing app. Yeah. Um, they were, and they called it internally the Hotel Tonight Killer. Oh, that's good. And uh, that's this good. was that's good 20, branding. at the end of 2014, yeah. So, I mean, we're still like at that point. And, the, and during the, the early days with um, the Expedia stuff, we were like 20 people. So we we're like, why are we, what is going on here? Like, you know, this is an outsized reaction, um, but, you know, clearly indicates that we're doing something right. And then when, booking went after it it was we we're probably like 80 people still very very small and we're like how are to be in the crosshairs of this large company that they're trying to put us out of business again feels like an overreaction yeah um but it was also very very nerve-wracking and it was uh it was intense and when it launched you know we it was all hands on deck we uh we made our focus to make sure we were better than they were with our inventory and the the product wasn't successful and it uh, didn't have product market fit and uh, they ended up shutting it down about 18 months later um, which was a, a really good outcome for us and uh, and shows just how hard it is to build something for a, a new brand from the ground up which I don't think big companies typically have done very well and we'll be right back after this quick break. Are you doing a lot of holiday shopping from your mobile device? You're not alone. Retailers expect 54% of holiday shoppers to visit their sites from mobile devices. Scammers see this as an opportunity to steal your credit card information and other personal data by distributing phony retail apps. Be cautious and only download apps from reputable app stores and read the reviews for any complaints about malware. One in four people have experienced identity theft. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats. If you have a problem, U.S.-based restoration specialists will work to fix it. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. LifeLock can uncover threats that you might miss. Join now and get 10% off with promo code FORBES. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to lifelock.com and use promo code FORBES. That's FORBES to save 10% now. Hi, this is Ben Dominich, the host of the Federalist Radio Hour. We're a daily show coming to you five days a week from Washington, D.C., where we interview our nation's top journalists, politicians, authors, chefs, economists, entertainers, and more. If you're looking for a contrarian discussion on news, politics, or culture, give us a listen and subscribe at PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, or at Apple Podcasts. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. How do you rally the team when you suddenly have a, you know, you said an 80 billion, you know, market cap gorilla kind of knocking on the door? What do you, what happens internally? How do you kind of rally everybody? Uh, well, we I did drop a few f bombs uh, <laughs> to to get things going, um, and it was uh, it was a challenge for us. We we and and we like to rise to challenges, and you know, having you know Goliath breathing down your throat is actually a fantastic way to get motivated and get excited. Um, we knew that we could beat them not on the marketing side, so they were outspending us. You know, they, they outspend us every day for what we spend in a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we beat them through our hotel relationships, better inventory, and then our product execution. And our product, uh, we looked at their product. We said, all right, this is where we can be better than them, and we, we went after it. And the um, then on the uh, the hotel side, through our relationships, through – the back-end interface, which is very, it's only for mobile, built from the ground up for Hotel Tonight, was uh, something that gave us a huge advantage and allowed us to have better inventory. I was reading some stories kind of about, not a turnaround, but I guess a couple of years ago, um, you guys are burning through a lot of money, and I think you you know made some changes, and now you're profitable, but it sounds like it might have been a little tough. There were layoffs, there was some restructuring. Take me through that, like how you kind of made that change and how you know how how you pulled it off yeah it uh that was a, a really defining moment for the company, and it was uh, ended up being a it just led to a great year last year that we continue this year on in terms of our momentum and our execution. I, I, I was uh, talking to some of my, my mentors and especially to Rich Barton. Um, 
who founded Expedia and then mm-hmm. Zillow. And he said that the two best things he's ever done as an executive is make the call to go after profitability. And he's you know he's done it at Expedia, he did it at Zillow, and uh, he recommended I do the same thing. And uh, to start with that, we did you know, have to do some restructuring, but that was a minor part of it. The the bigger, uh, in terms of us, it was a, a big part of it from you know, certainly the people that were affected, but a minor part of it uh, for the people, for the, the the numbers to and the lines to cross. Mm-hmm. And so we had to do a lot more after that. Um, the decision to do the layoffs was, was you know, horrendously um, stressful for me, and it was a, a very, very difficult time, you know, personally to, to go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and but ultimately just absolutely necessary for the company to ensure that we could go on as a as a successful company and an independent company. Um, and But then it was everybody getting rallied around this idea of let's get to profitability. That's the only goal that we have. How do we get there? And what do we have to do? And it's so, it's that, that singular focus around one metric is so clarifying. And there is, it's, it's, uh, there's always a metric that's out there, like a revenue metric or a bookings metric as well. Nothing has the power of profitability uh, because it is such a bright line between success and failure and being able to own your destiny and being able, being required to um, continue to go get money. Um, huh. And the uh, so the team just responded incredibly well to this. We ended up getting profitable in uh, eight months versus I think we had, we had said it was going to be 12 months at best to get to profitability. And we ended up accelerating our growth through that time and releasing a lot of great product innovations uh, in the in the meantime through that. And so it was just it was a really really wonderful year and led to our continued growth in this year. How did you kind of come up with a plan, um, and what was the playbook? What was how did you do it? I mean, everyone wants to be profitable, and you guys did it in eight months. Um, like, first of all, like, did you did it take months? Did you use all the the executive teams? Did you call consultants? Like, what was how did you kind of draw it up, and then what what did you what were the conclusions? Yeah, it was uh, the executive team working on it, and we we ended up having a couple levers. One is to keep costs down, um, and then the other is to uh, improve our our take rate. Um, and then the last one what's, is sorry, what's to take, what's improve take rate? our marketing efficiency. What's the take rate? Um, take rates are commission. Um, so when you sell a room for hundred dollars, we make um, you know, call it you know, fifteen to eighteen dollars. Okay. So you just, you, you just raise that up. We we uh, we did. We went to uh, many of our hotels and we said, hey, the. Uh, a couple of years ago, we lowered our take rate, and that uh, time is over, and we need to get back to sustainable levels. And we uh, we explained it that way, and, and they were, you know, certainly nobody likes to have prices raised, but they were understanding that we needed to run a business that was sustainable. And for them, having us in the market um, was better than the, us not being in the market. Hmm. Um, so that was one of the levers we had. On the marketing side, it was just instead of just going after growth at any cost, having it be responsible growth and getting the, the return on that ad spend up higher um, was such great discipline and the team responded incredibly well to that. And the marketing efficiency is still goes up even though we spend considerably more every month huh. than we did last year. And that during in the same month last year, the, um, the efficiency of that has gone up materially and keeps going up. And the team just does such a great job at it. And then um, lastly on the cost side, it, it was really it was really amazing to have the team say, well, look at all these costs. What can we do? Mm-hmm. And we had – we give out a, a Frugal Not Cheap Award every week and <laughs> uh, during our all hands. And it was recognizing people that uh, – some people just went uh, and worked an extra day and uh, or stayed late, late at night and did a project to refactor some of our code on AWS. And mm-hmm. our AWS bill is half of – now is half of what it was um, at the beginning of last year, even though our volume – has more than doubled, so it's uh, it's really amazing what that uh, that team just and every team like we had a, somebody in accounting call one of our banks and say hey we don't like paying you as much as we're paying you and they said okay and we saved eighty thousand dollars <laughs> just asking but, it's but amazing sometimes it drops yeah, down yeah just ask yeah. yeah and she wouldn't have thought about doing that if it hadn't been like so transparent that mm. we were this is what the lines look like now we went over that every week every month uh, at the month end close and. The, uh, it was just the top of mind for everybody. And then we had a huge party when we uh, got to profitability and, <laughs> nice. uh, and a, a nice 
and an appropriate celebration. <laughs> yes, not you didn't want to go back into the red with the party, so it's it's a good choice. Um, in terms of I just, really quick, I want to talk about tech for a second because you know, these are very it, you know you you open up an app like this and it looks like it's magic, but I mean there's like millions of moving parts between hotel inventory and demand and pricing and and you know everyone there's so many outputs like what is the trick like how does how do you what is this built on it, it's really complex yeah I, and i'm uh even though i uh have worked in product i don't have a lot of technology technological background so um i can uh i think that the core is built on on ruby um Ruby on Rails. It was uh, the where the I know the first stuff was built on. I think we've continued to, mm-hmm. to build on top of that. And at AWS, so it's all cloud cloud hosted. Um, but they use so many different tools and services yeah. now um, to move the data around and to optimize it. Um, I, uh, I I couldn't even begin to tell you the <laughs> entire tech stack. But the one of the things that that we ha- I have seen is that to, and one of our values as a uh, on the product side is simplicity. We you know, do try and simplify as much as possible the the technical um, mm-hmm. stack and the tech stack, but it is also incredibly hard to keep the front end simple while adding capabilities uh, to the product. On the hotel side, does like does a hotel have? Is it like a different um, hotels tonight kind of portal, almost like a open table kind of thing, or is it all just done? Is it looped in just to get their booking system in general? Well, it really depends on the hotel. So we interface with hotels in a lot of different ways. Um, it, it's really what they prefer to work with. So there's some of the, the more legacy plumbing that's out there. Um, there's systems at the front desk of the hotel that we'll interface with directly um, and go through third parties or directly in many cases. Um, and then the initial way that we worked with hotels and the default way, and in many ways the preferred way, is through a portal. It's a, a In the industry, it's called an extranet. It's a website where hotels log into and they manage their rates and inventory. And, okay. Um, it is so simple. Um, we hear from hotels over and over how much they love it, and they uh, they only have to give us two pieces of information uh, for each day. But uh, for tonight, for example, they, they say, how many rooms do you want to sell, and what do you want to sell them for? And with those two pieces of information, we can take it from there and start sending them revenue and, and sending them the customers. Um, the uh, the platform, another thing that really differentiates the platform has been very hard to, uh, in terms of scaling is that it's all real time. Yeah. You compare that to uh, Booking.com or Expedia where there's 15 to 30 minutes on the caching uh, of making a change. So that's super important at the last minute for hotels because if they're, they're making a change, they're saying, wait a second, I don't have those three rooms to sell anymore. I need to close out. We can close out instantly in about 150 milliseconds uh, for the change to be uh, propagated and and then end up in the app. Um, Whereas if it's 15 minutes, you can sell several of those rooms, if not all of them. Mm -hmm. And you have to then contractually walk those guests, uh, is what it's called in the industry, or, or move them to a different hotel at your own dime. So for that reason, hotels really love using us at the last minute because of that real-time nature. But it's been very expensive um, in terms of development effort uh, to be able to scale. Uh, but it's so important for us and something that we'll never lose. And talking about real-time, one of the cool features you also have is you have a, an online concierge um, for some po- appointments. Is that a human? Is that an AI? Is that a mix of both? No, it's all people. Um, okay. And... I've tried some of the AI stuff, and you can really tell it's AI. And we, this is a, a great feature. It's a mobile concierge. It's chat-based for our, our top customers and for people that are booking um, in the, the more expensive rooms. Then I think it's only about $150, though, is what you need to spend. So it's not that expensive anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but the uh, you can ask for anything. You can say, I need an early check-in, and then we'll work that out with the hotel. You can say, you know, I need a, a reservation for dinner tonight or what's a cool bar in the area, and we'll take care of anything and everything. And because we we don't know what the guest is going to actually ask, it's very hard to set it up as an AI. We had There's mm-hmm. a funny story where some guest asked for a David Bowie poster to be put in his room. I think he was <laughs> trying to see if it was AI or not. But the hotel actually accommodated that request somehow. I don't know how they found a David Bowie poster. Um, but anyway, AI wouldn't be, be very good there. So again, I think that for AI, for maybe some very um, specific and predictable tasks can work. But for anything that's custom, um, for it to really work, we're going to be... It's going to be much closer to us in the simulation before that starts happening. Interesting. And real quick, talk about the future of the company. Um, you know, if you if you look up hotels tonight, there's a lot of IPO talk on the web. Are you guys thinking about that? Is that you know coming next year? What, what can you say about kind of a potential exit there? 
Yeah, it's uh, we're in a really great position now. We're growing fast in a, a market that's huge, and so we've got a lot of more opportunity for us. And we're break even as a company, um, so own our own destiny. No, no pressure to do anything in particular, but a lot of options for us uh, strategically. So just right now, the focus is on continue to build a great product, continue to solve the problem for hotels, and then uh, the vision with moving to a 100-day booking window is to to be the only app you need for booking accommodations and really giving uh, an alternative for hotels and customers to using PricelineBooking.com and Expedia. Hmm. And if you have a good IPO, then you can finally go to Hollywood and make those movies. <laughs> That'd be a long time away, but but it would be fun <laughs> one day. And I don't think it'll be movies. I think it'll be it'll look some uh, it'll be a new way of storytelling. That would that would be interesting to me. Awesome. Well, uh, we'll, we'll I have to do a podcast on that one later. Yeah, that's a whole other whole other topic. Well, um, that was great. Um, Sam Shank, the CEO and founder of Hotels Tonight. All right, Sam, that was great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of the Forbes interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a question or comment, please reach us at interview at podcastone.com. Podcast One has new shows on our new app. Check out all the cool features to help you explore our exciting new programming, like America's Lakers podcast with Jay Moore, Sessions with Randy Jackson, So Random with Corinne Olympios, Attack Each Day, the Harbaugh's podcast, Not Just Sports with Susie Schuster and Rich Eisen, and Sound of Success, the Dick Enberg podcast, as well as your old favorites like The Lady Gang, Steve Austin, Shaquille O'Neal, and Adam Carolla. Get the new Podcast One app in the App Store, Google Play, or PodcastOne.com. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.